Welcome to Out of Zion with Susan Michael, an exploration of the Bible and the land of Israel. From ancient biblical sites to the story behind the stories, join Susan on a journey through the most exciting book on the planet. Hit the subscribe button for future episodes, which will deepen your faith and bring the Bible to life. And now, here's our host, Susan Michael. Well, hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Going Deeper. This is our fifth episode and um, one I'm really looking forward to talking about the Torah and God's commandments that we're reading about this week in our walk through the Bible reading. We have with us today a very special guest, a very special friend of the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem and of mine, uh, Rabbi Shmuel Bowman. And Rabbi Bowman is uh, the executive director of Operation Life Shield, and we partner with him in placing bomb shelters throughout southern Israel and vulnerable communities there to rocket attacks. And so we have had the opportunity to work very closely together for a number of years and to get to know each other and to build relationships that go beyond uh, the personal level and more uh, between our communities. And uh, Rabbi Bowman is also an ordained Torah scribe. And uh, that means that he has a love and a passion for teaching the sacredness of the Hebrew text and also the significance of the rabbinic law and the rabbinic traditions that go along with that text. And so, um, Rabbi Bowman, we just give you a very warm welcome uh, from your home there in Israel. We thank you for joining us today. Wonderful to be here, Susan. Thank you. Well, first, we all want to know, what is a Torah scribe? And how did you become one? And what is it that you do? So this is a great question. A Torah scribe uh, in Hebrew is a sofer, sofer stam. Because to say just a scribe, you know, if you look at the dictionary, for example, a scribe will define it something like, you know, somebody, you know, who wrote down things before the invention of, you know, the printing press or something like that. Um, and clearly, the printing press has long been invented. And in fact, we're dealing with, you know, printing and writing things digitally. And yet, there are those of us who are still scribing today. So clearly, there's still a role for us, even with the invention of all this technology. So therefore, what is it? To be a Torah scribe, to be a Sofer Stum, means that we're uh, writing sacred writings, okay? And in this case, we're talking about Torah, we're talking about uh, Tefillin, and we're talking about Mezuzot, which I'll get into more detail, as well as other sacred writings that, Susan, are more than just having a nice handwriting. <laughs> this isn't calligraphy. This is about following the strict guidelines of the law, of the law of Moses, uh, to make sure that each and every letter is absolutely exact and perfect and is connected to the exact same way we've been writing these same sacred scrolls for thousands of years without any change whatsoever. So in a sense, it's a combination of having, obviously, you've got to have legible and I would say 
good scribal handwriting. But you also need to know the laws and ask the very basic question, what defines this Hebrew letter? And, uh, and the other thing that it, uh, that it means for those out there in, uh, in TV land and radio land who know the Hebrew letters, and that is, is that the Hebrew letters, so sofer means lispor. In Hebrew, it means to count, which means I'm a counter. I'm a writer and a counter. And what am I counting? I'm counting space. I'm counting the space that defines each letter. I'm the counting the space between each letter and between each line. And so, um, and so it's a combination of those things. I know that sounds like a long and complicated answer, and it is on purpose. <laughs> well, I love it. And it's this tradition and it's this, this strictness of the tradition that has given us a text that we can be very confident in, that it's accurate because you and generations of predecessors have kept it very, very strictly to the letter. And it, I was always told that when writing a Torah scroll, that if there was one mistake, that it, it had to be uh, discarded and started all over again. You didn't allow any mistakes. And so we thank no you, because that means that <laughs> we have an accurate text. Well, exactly. Well, you're welcome. On behalf of uh, scribes from all the generations, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. You've really, um, you've really articulated the crux of the issue. The issue is, is it has to be exact so that the transmission of the Torah, the transmission of the Bible from generation to generation can be accurate. And in order to do this, you need to be, to be a Torah scribe, you have to be God-fearing. Okay, because there's no way that you can transmit the word of God from generation to generation without feeling the sense of like, if I decide to go on my own creative path here, if I decide that, you know what, I think I'll phrase it this way. I think the letter will look nicer that way. Uh, if you don't have the fear of God, that's the way that the, the terminology, it's called Yerat Shemayim, then you can't do this job. Okay, you have to be able to be an observant Orthodox Jew to be able to know the laws and to be able to say, I'm taking this stuff seriously. It has nothing to do with how I feel that day. Okay, it has to do with, with those guidelines. And the fact is that we're writing in the same way that we were writing for the last, you know, a couple thousand years. We're using, right, we're using a feather. We're using in this case a turkey feather, and this turkey feather gets worked down, and I create this. So this is the result of a turkey feather. For those who can see this, it's a what's called a kolmus or a quill. And for those of you listening in on the podcast, try and imagine a fountain pen that was made from a feather. It has to be carved down and ultimately used for the ink to flow down. I'm using black ink. It has to be strictly black ink it has to be kosher black ink in other words the ink cannot be comprised of any um animal products that would be unkosher so it has to be black ink it can't be green ink it can't be you know i may you know i love i love all sorts of colored inks i you know i write with blue black i like i write with green mm -mm, not when you're writing sacred scrolls it has to be black ink and you have to be writing on parchment not on papyrus and not on lovely stationery 
Okay. And it has to be. So these are all things that haven't changed in thousands of years. And so we're hopefully the idea is, is, is that when we've written a Torah scroll, when I've written a Torah scroll and you read it, it's going to be the same Torah scroll that you could have been reading a hundred years ago, 500 years ago, 2000 years ago, 3000 years ago, all the way back to Mount Sinai. And I love it. And I love that it. Is what's so I'm passionate exciting. about it. Yes. As you can tell, perhaps. Yeah. And uh, I love talking about it because it's um it's a it's a great it's a great responsibility and a great and a great gift. It is. It's a very special responsibility. And uh so I I'd like to talk a little bit now about Torah itself, what it is that you're writing. And, um, you know, I'll be very transparent with everyone. Uh, One of the reasons I really wanted to do this interview with Rabbi Bowman was because in the New Testament, the word Torah is largely uh, translated as law. And um, a lot of Christian theology and all just has such a negative perspective of law. And so I wanted us to hear today from an Orthodox Jewish rabbi what law means to the Jewish people. What is Torah? How do they translate it? How do they see it, what its purposes are? So, uh, Rabbi, what is Torah? And what's a better translation of it, a better explanation of what it is? Right. So the, the translation of Torah is a guidebook. And if you were going on a hike anywhere in America, in Europe, in Israel. So it would be uh, dangerous, actually, to start on a trail that you've never been on before and just start walking. You don't know how long that trail is going to last for. You don't know what you're going to need. You're going to need water. And for how many days? You're going to need light. Are you going to be walking in the dark? Are you going to be camping out? Are there going to be dangerous animals? Are there going to be bandits along the way? You need to have a guidebook that's going to be able to say, okay, you're about to go down this path. These are the tools that you're going to need in order to not only survive, but to flourish. And so the Torah is that guidebook. And that path is the path of life. And that path is, that, 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 that's, that's a life with yourself, with your family. It's a, it's a, it's a journey with your community. And it's, a, and it's a journey with other nations. And so this journey, to go down that journey, that road, that trail, blind, if you will, without a guidebook, uh, you could fall into a lot of holes and you could get bitten by a lot of snakes. <laughs> okay, You need to know what to pack into your backpack. And that's what the Torah is. It's your guidebook. And yes, it does have many, many laws in there. But those laws which are both what's called mitzvot, positive commandments, and let's call them negative commandments. In other words, things that you do and things that you don't do, right? So that's just the same way as you would pack your backpack for the kind of trail you're about to go on. What are the things that you are going to do? How much water are you going to bring? And what are you not going to be doing on that trail? What plants should you stay away from and not eat, right? Because it could be poisonous. So the Torah is filled with laws which are about how to navigate this pathway of called life and to do it successfully. 
Well, I just want to interject one thing. When, when you refer to Torah, or when anyone refers to Torah, that's what we call the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Uh, correct? So yes and yes and no. And the prophets. Yes, yes and no. Okay. Okay. So so we so 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 Jews expand that definition. Okay, you're you're right. It does the Torah in the most literal literal sense is the five books of Moses, right? From Genesis to Deuteronomy. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. But we also expand that term to also include the prophets, the writings, and to also include the oral law what's called the Talmud, okay, which is rabbinic law. So all of that is called Torah. Why? Because all of that is the guidebook or the guidebooks that one is going to need in order to thrive in this life. And, and I need to emphasize so importantly that what do we mean to thrive in, in, in this life? It means to be really a servant of God. It really means to follow the will of God Okay, to be in a sense um, uh, that kind of person that is filled with God and is then able to live a God-filled life. Because just to walk down that trail just for the fun of it, okay, that's very cute and very nice and everything, but there's much more that we're meant to do on that trail of life, much more than just to kind of skip along. We're supposed to walk that trail filled with the Spirit of God. And this is the guidebook on how to do it. Mm, it's beautiful. And um, the, so the, the Torah is not just about the law and the commandments, which is what we're reading right now in our weekly reading. But it's, it's all, it's the stories, it's the history, it's the prophecies, it's, it's, it's all of it is all-encompassing in Torah as, as your guidebook. Um, but there's one element in there that we've been reading about, and that is God's covenant with the nation of Israel. And I kind of liken it to a marriage proposal from Mount Sinai. And God says, if you'll obey me and you'll follow me, then you're going to be my treasured possession above all the earth. And you'll be to me a kingdom of a priest, a, a holy nation. And the people of Israel said, okay, well, we will. And uh, the first thing that God gave was the Ten Commandments. So first, tell us, what is your view of that, um, that covenant and uh, the purpose of it? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful image. Uh, the wedding, the wedding ceremony, as a matter of fact, we talk about at the uh, festival of Shavuot, which follows, uh, it's 50 weeks after Passover, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and the idea that that is the uh, giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. And we liken that idea actually to uh, a wedding, right? That that's, you know, that, and it's all there. There's the wedding canopy is there. The nation of Israel is there. God is there. It's described as in, in, in uh, I guess, in anthropomorphic terms, God being the, the groom, the nation of Israel being the bride. It's very much in anthropomorphic terms, in, in image terms. But that's that feeling that we're going into this, not, 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 not a business deal. This isn't a, this isn't a contract, you know, between two 
companies trying to figure out how to make a profit. No, this is like you're talking about. It's this love between God and the nation of Israel. And and we're saying, this is what I'm bringing to the marriage. And this is what I'm bringing to the marriage, right? And that's what that covenant is about. Just like when you go into, when you go into a marriage and you say, well, this is, this is what I promised to do. And this is what I promised to do. And thus a beautiful forever eternal relationship comes out of that. Right. So that's a beautiful, beautiful example. And then, so then God gave the 10 commandments, but then a whole lot of more commandments followed. So what is the difference? What is what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments by themselves? And then explain to us about the rest. There's 613 commandments. Explain to us how the difference. Sure. So again, we have to go back to the Hebrew. We have to go back to the Hebrew. Uh, you know, it, it, there's no there are no shortcuts. <laughs> In the Hebrew, it's not called the Ten Commandments, even though you and I both love that movie by Cecil B. DeMille starring Charlton Heston. <laughs> Fabulous movie. And I, was listening to, I love it. It's just a great movie. But here we go. That's not what it's called in the, in the Hebrew. It's not called the Ten Commandments. The word for ten is eser, right? And, and the next word is you know, eseret hadibrot, that's how the Ten Commandments are actually called, which means the Ten Utterances or the Ten Spoken Words, okay, or the Ten Spoken Phrases, which is not the same word as commandments. As we mentioned, the word for commandment is mitzvot, okay, and the word mitzvot comes from the word saveh or tzav, which means obligations, okay? So, those laws that we're talking about are obligations, okay? Just like if you were to um, become a member of a club or a citizen of a country, or, you know, even in many families, there are guidelines, obligations, right? If you're going to be part of this family, then you're obligated to show up at dinner at every night or to call in when you're traveling or whatever. There's all sorts of uh, agreements within a family. Their obligations within a company, their obligations within a club, a membership within a synagogue, within a church. That's what commandments are. The, that's what commandments are. However, the ten utterances, if you will, are are bold um, stoplights. They're lights. To, they're, they're lights that go off. They flash, and they're there to illuminate, literally, in front of our eyes at all times. And they're basic truths. Do not kill. Do not steal. Steal. Do not commit adultery. Right. Honor the. You know. Honor your parents. Okay. Observe the Sabbath. Do not take the name of God. These are basics. So that even with all the other uh, mitzvot, and there are six hundred and thirteen of them just in the five books of Moses, and then there are thousands more <laughs> when we get into rabbinic law okay and 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 there these are these are laws these are these are uh, uh uh obligations that you need to study and they take a lot of work but if you want to put like bullet points and have them in front of you that's the 10 utterances okay and they are they are within the body of the mitzvot, of the commandments, of the obligations. Well, um, 
Okay, you've mentioned something here about rabbinic law, and so I feel like we want to clarify that for our listeners. So the 613 mitzvot or commandments are found in the written Torah. And then when you mention rabbinic law, that's what you would call the oral Torah, which has been developed over the centuries alongside the written Torah. And um, it's in order to clarify and to elaborate on the written Torah and to uh, implement it into your lives. So a lot of times we don't quite grasp this, but if if God says, you know, um, and maybe you can give us a good example, but okay, to um, observe the Sabbath. Well, then how do you do that? And that's where the rabbis came in and said, well, this is how you do it. This is what you don't want to do. And then as the times would change, they would have to elaborate on it further to give you guidance because you didn't want to uh, break that commandment, but you didn't really know how practically uh, to carry it out in your life. And so that's how you ended up with just, as you said, thousands of oral law alongside the Torah. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of, of, uh, of describing it. And I'll just go a little further by saying that uh, we believe that the oral um, Torah uh, was, was uh, delivered at the same time as the written Torah. And what does that mean? That means that the Torah is written down, there's 613 commandments, but from the, from the very, very, very beginning, there were ideas of, okay, how do we now, how do we implement this? From the very beginning, all the way from Mount Sinai. And as, as you correctly stated, as time went by, more and more issues come up, okay? It's almost like you can liken it to the U.S. Constitution. The founding fathers write down the, write, write down the original Constitution, and then as time goes by, issues come up and you have amendments, right? So you have the initial Constitution, which is certain amount of fixed writing, and then over time, and that... And that document, the Constitution, is a living document. And even today, things come up, and that's what, in a sense, the Supreme Court of the United States is all about. You go and see whether or not is this or is this not constitutional. And uh, that's very, very important. Also, that the laws that are made, whether it's in the United States, we're talking about Congress, or if in other countries, Parliament, or in Israel, the Knesset, they ultimately have to come back to, well, is this or is this not constitutional? So the same thing happens with the Torah. I'll give you a clear example. The Torah specifically says to, you know, write these words on your, on your, and place them on your head and, 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 and on your heart. That's nice. Okay. So how do you do that? How do you actually do that? And the rabbis at the same time time came along. So well, that's called tefillin which is another thing that I'm writing. So tefillin, just to give you an example, is in the shape of, right, black boxes. Nowhere in the Torah, I'm talking about in the written law, does it talk about these black boxes. And yet, every Jewish male is putting them on every single morning, and then we've been doing this for the last 3,000 years. Why? That's because that's part of what was called the oral law. And that's and what happens with rabbinic laws quite simple, and that is that came a point in time when, because of dispersion and because of the expanding Jewish world, that it was no longer feasible just to pass this information orally. In other words, from from 
mouth to ear, mouth to ear from one generation to the other. And it became necessarily to transcribe these laws and write them down. And that became the Talmud. And that that's what we call rabbinic law, which still is alive and flourishing to today. Okay, well, we just read uh, this last week, I believe, we read out of uh, Deuteronomy 11, where we have the verse that describes uh, what you just referred to. So I want to read the verse. Uh, it says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and, and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children and write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And I love how that you have learned to implement that in such practical ways. And if you would share with us about the phylactery and what's in it and what you say when you put it on in the morning, because it's such a beautiful uh, verse. It most definitely is. Well, these are, again, for the viewing audience, these are the phylacteries, okay? So this is the one for the head, has four separate compartments, and this is the one for the arm. For those of you just listening, try and imagine uh, a square box made of leather uh, attached by leather straps, okay? Um, and in Hebrew, we call this tefillin. One goes on the arm because it has to be facing the heart, and the other one, as we just mentioned directly from the book of Deuteronomy, is going to wind up going right between our eyes, right somewhere around there. And that's what's going on. As I put them on, I'm saying this beautiful sentence that says, And it goes on and it basically says, I am, I am being betrothed to you, God. We are being betrothed to each other. And it goes perfectly to the image that you shared with us just a moment ago regarding that marriage. We are in a constant state of betrothal. One of the questions you may ask is, is like, new. No. So like, when are you getting married already? Like, <laughs> when, is, when does the marriage happen? You're always in the state of betrothal, which is almost like this engagement process. And yeah, that's right. We are literally every day going through that loving betrothal uh, experience with God as we put these on. And what are we putting on? Because maybe that'll give us the clue. So in Deuteronomy, what are we putting on? The tefillin includes four passages. Uh, Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. Exodus chapter 13, verses 11 through 16. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. And then Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. And we take a look and we break those down. We see that the first two the first two passages have to do with the exodus from slavery. Okay. Wow. Who's going to free you from slavery except that, that, that which loves you. Okay. That's a tremendous, tremendous, tremendous statement. That sense of freedom. The second two passages from Deuteronomy have to do with love, loving God with Deuteronomy six dealing with, all about love and Deuteronomy 11, talking about the rewards of that covenant that we talked about at the beginning. And those are the four messages that are always on us, on our forehead and on our arm. And the other thing you mentioned is about putting them on our doorposts. That's called a mezuzah. And this is a mezuzah. It's a flattened one. It ultimately gets rolled up. And what this is, is Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11. It's all about love. 
but it's a declaration. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad is the first line, which in English is sometimes translated as Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, but the word Shema isn't just here. It's more about, uh, it's more about listening on the inside, listening on the inside that God is one. Okay. It's our, it's our mission statement. Okay. And where are we putting this? We roll this up into a nice little roll. Okay. We roll it up. We place it inside a bite, which means a house, a housing, if you will. And that can be any material that you want. The mezuzah has to be on parchment. Everything has to be on parchment. This can be on, it can be plastic. It can be glass. It can be stone. It can be metal. It can be whatever you want. You put it on your doorpost of your house. And it's a constant reminder when you go in and when you go out, right? That you're bringing God into the house. And when you leave, you take God with you. Okay, that's what's going on. It's not like there's a switch that you turn God on and turn God off. Okay, God is always, always in you. And what a better, what not a better place to place that message than on your doorpost. And, and I love it because it just shows that, that love and reverence really for the Word of God and for the Torah and that honoring of it and wanting to be reminded of it in everyday life and to make sure that you're always doing these things to remind you of what God has said and to remind you of that relationship. And it really is a very beautiful thing. And uh, we're always so worried about legalism, but I think it's good to take a moment and look at the absolute beauty of these daily reminders and daily routines that are there because of the love for Torah and the love for the God of Torah. <laughs> You know, if it were, um, if so it were just I, about, I wanna, oh, I'm sorry, I was just going to say that those, that those routines, those, those guidelines, laws, commandments, whatever you want to call them, things that, that sometimes people can feel really weighted by, like, oh, really, can't we, do we really have to follow these things? Is that what it's about? Well, the problem is we're human beings and let's face it, we sometimes do things based on you know, our feelings based on pleasure, based on pain, based on all sorts of things that, that, um, that affect our decision-making. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that as long as I have these things, I have to, I have to put these on every morning, except for Shabbat and on festivals. doesn't matter if I feel like it or not. You know what, Susan, some days I'm really into it. I really am. <laughs> I got news for you. Other days, I'm like, I, I got a meeting to go to. I got things to go to. Really? I got to put this, th I got to put these on. Really? Come on. Maybe I don't feel like it. Too bad. Too bad. You put them on and zap, you're reminded. Oh yeah. Oh, God is in my life today. That's what's going on, whether I felt like it or not. Well, you mentioned Shabbat, so let's uh, end our time together today talking about uh, the Sabbath. And, uh, you know, the Sabbath it was there in creation, and it, the roots go back to the creation. But then God brings it in um, as though it's a part of your arrangement with Him, your, your uh, observance of the Sabbath. So 
Share with us just a minute before we close today about the significance of the Shabbat to you. Okay, well, um, you know, Shabbat uh, at its very, very core is really about keeping a Jewish home Jewish. And it's very interesting because we have a saying that says that more than Jews have kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath have kept the Jews. What does that mean? That means that like it or not, uh, if you're if you're observant, you're taking 24 hours off from whatever you're doing. And it's very interesting because we don't use the word taking time off. We taking we call it taking time on. It's a time to really get real. It's a time to uh, to just stop and to reflect and to be part of the uh, the the creation process because God rested from creating on the seventh day. And when we do that, when we when we mimic that experience, we discover something amazing. And that is, you know something? It's not about me. <laughs> I don't have to really be working seven days a week. It's a real ego buster, okay? We really come along and we understand that that I'm doing my part, but really it's all God. And and lo and behold, I can take off that day and I can get into, you know, I can elevate. Everything we're doing is about elevating. Everything that we're doing is about sanctifying. The food that we're eating, the wine that we're drinking, the blessings that we're making, the prayers that we're saying, it's all about saying, let's mekadish, let's do kiddush, let's raise it up another level for 25 hours, for 24, 25 hours. And then when Shabbat ends, we make a separation between Shabbat and the rest of the week. It's called Havdalah. We go back now into the rest of the week. We drop down, we drop down, but we take a little bit about that Sabbath with us to imbue it into the rest of the week. The Shabbat, it's an amazing gift. I love it. Well, I love how you said that not only do you keep the Shabbat, but it has kept you. And I once heard someone describe the Sabbath as almost like the wedding ring. In other words, it's a visible sign of the covenant of the marriage. Uh, and it's there. It's um, it, it has kept you because it gave something that the whole family did together every week and a tradition that uh, was passed on from generation to generation. But it's like it's a visible sign that uh, there's a relationship here, that there's something there's something different here in this family. We actually and, call it in uh, Hebrew. We actually, exactly like you say, we actually say Shabbat, we say Othi Leolam, which literally means what you just said. Ot means a sign. Leolam means forever. And we say Shabbat Othi Leolam. Shabbat is a sign of our covenant forever. You're absolutely right. Mm. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much. There's there's so much for us to learn and to gain from this, um, even as um, the Christian community, American Christian community, to realize the importance of looking different and being different, of keeping alive that we are different from the rest of the world and not being ashamed of that and to uh, realize the significance of it and how that it honors God when we keep these traditions and we, we uh, keep these things before others and we come apart and are different. And uh, so we want to thank you, uh, Shmuel, for being with us today and for sharing just from your heart on these traditions. 
Uh, I think our listeners are really going to um, enjoy it and take away from it just a, an encouragement here of walking in the footsteps that your people have laid for us to come alongside and to just to love the word of the Lord, make it our whole life, and to make sure that every day we're uplifting it, we're being reminded of it, and we're living according to it because it is a roadmap. So thank you so much. And um, we just invite everyone back here uh, next week for our next week's reading of Walk Through the Bible. And uh, just thank you so much for joining us today. And until then, God bless. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Out of Zion with Susan Michael. Be sure to subscribe to Out of Zion now on Apple Podcasts, cpnshows.com, YouTube, or wherever you like to listen and learn. Out of Zion with Susan Michael is a production of ICEJ USA, all rights reserved.